the Arthropod. The Arthropod is the home for the wonderful, weird, wacky world of insects. Hosted by Jonathan Larson, Jody Green, and Michael Scavarla. Welcome back to Arthropod, your entomology podcast. I am the one of your hosts for the day, Jonathan Larson of the University of Kentucky. I'm another one of your hosts. I'm Jody Green from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. And I'm the last host today, Michael Scavarla with Penn State University. You were not as excited about being the last host as you usually are. You know, sometimes I feel like I got to bring it down so the so the audience doesn't ex- know what to expect. Okay. All right. Uh well, I appreciate your attempted emotional manipulation through voice modulation. Do you want to be the second house? No, Would no, you... third, third oh, okay. host is fine with me. Uh, maybe you want me to like really play it up like the AM no. radio caster and have like a, a soundboard. Hey, welcome to Arthropod. Ah, I would. What I would want is for us to be like, and here's Mike Scavarla in the in the bug copter, going to tell us how traffic is. Well, I'm up here and it's very noisy in this helicopter. You're completely off the rails And what are you seeing? What are you seeing up there, Dr. Scrella? Yes. <laughs> Ooh, oh, I see a new invasive insect on the horizon. Was that? Oh, no. Oh, no. Tell them all about transition? it, Mike. Get Tell us back about on the rails. It. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, you it's want yellow. me to tell them about them? Yeah. Uh, they got legs. Yellow. It has legs. Uh, that's actually pertinent for today. Uh, no, they found yellow-legged hornet in uh, Georgia. From from the the news stories, the local news stories just dropped yesterday, and the national news is just picking it up today. John found a CNN article. CBS. Oh, PBS. You said CBS. Oh, I'm so. Am I not enunciating? That's okay. Our local news has it, so we're in Nebraska, not in Georgia. And so our, you know, fellow extension folks, we all tell each other what's in the news and what to expect. What should we expect? Yeah, so this is uh, Vespula or Vespa velatina, uh, the yellow-legged hornet or the Asian hornet, um, not to be confused with Asian giant hornet or northern giant hornet or murder hornets. Um, although some of these news stories are making that connection and saying something like a murder hornet relative is on the loose in the United States. Um, so, I mean, you might guess from that it is another large kind of Asian hornet. Uh, they're native to Southeast Asia. They are, or they have become established in France and other parts of Europe. So they've been there for, uh, I should have double checked like five or 10 years already. Um, so they are invasive in Europe. Uh, so they have the potential to become established in North America. I don't know from the stories if they just found like one worker or a nest and eliminated it. Uh, I'm not quite sure in the details about it yet, but they did find at least one yellow-legged hornet here in Georgia. Uh, so I am waiting to see how the news kind of covers this story. If I get a lot more murder hornet scares like it did three years ago, uh, but it, I kind of feel like it's that sandstorm on the horizon. Like I can see it coming, right? And it's going to envelop me. It's here just it not comes here yet. that meme. 
Yeah, like I guess I got a brace for the for the impact. I, I will quote from the CBS News article that I discovered. Uh, the next step for officials will be to set up traps and find out if there are more of these pests in the area. If they're able to find a colony, it will be destroyed, Georgia agriculture officials said. The hornet that has already been identified will be DNA tested so that scientists can determine whether it originated from Europe or Asia. Yeah, it was detected by and reported by a beekeeper. And they're worried... Uh, for the threat of the agricultural industry, especially honey production and native pollinators. But right now, have... you know? Yeah, we don't know. We should have an, yeah. an, an entire show about how terrible honeybees are. <laughs> oh, no reaction. Maybe it's just me. Uh, it would be bad for honey production. I am not sure how bad it would be for agriculture writ large. Uh, but yeah, so another potentially invasive large species of hornet uh, my guess is everybody here on the East Coast is going to see a lot of European hornets and confuse them for yellow-legged hornets. Uh, but we'll have to see. Hopefully, this is just a you know one worker or or one nest that they can find and eliminate. Uh, but stay tuned. We'll stay on top of this uh, the way we did with northern giant hornets and and let everybody know as things develop. We absolutely will stay on top of it. Uh, we will keep people posted on that and probably have maybe a maybe an anti-honeybee episode in the future. That's an interesting suggestion. Uh, I was promoting some anti-honeybee content earlier today, so I, I, I sympathize a little bit. We hope that everybody has been uh, enjoying it, the past couple episodes. Wait, you it got... Does, it doesn't have to be anti-honeybee. We just... I We should show both sides. Like, they're used Okay, to I'm for theory. that. I'm for content, showing both sides. Context. Yes. Yeah, but right. they need to be put into context. Uh, I'm sorry. No, this you're fine. Been a, a weird introduction. I'm sorry, okay. listeners. I like it. I like it when it's weird. Uh, weird. We hope you've been enjoying the last couple of episodes, which have been dedicated to Alpha Gal, uh, to the red meat allergy. I've seen a lot of play on Twitter or X or whatever it's called now. Uh, people talking about our episodes, which seems good. I appreciate that. Um, we are moving away from that though, and we're going to do some basic entomology concepts over oh, the wait. next couple of episodes. Can I make a comment about our alpha gal? Okay. Yeah. So I'd like to thank everyone who reached out about our part one and who enjoyed it and got to hear from our, our special guests. Um, I want to give a shout out to Dr. Ashley Kennedy, uh, in Delaware. She's an entomologist extraordinaire and tick biologist. Uh, she wanted to let us know that there is a nonprofit foundation to promote research on the alpha gal syndrome. It's the Tick Born Conditions United. So the website is tcbunited.org. They do a lot of great work and they help fund research in that area. And their website has some good resources. So if there's any patients or healthcare providers, they can go check that out. So thank you to Dr. Ashley. And also, by the way, I saw that her job was posted for any future tick biologists who want to work for uh, Department of Natural Resources and Environmental Control doing environmental science work and be the next Delaware tick biologist. I love it. We're, we're promoting uh, possible opportunities. Yes, yeah. we should point out too. She was a, she was a guest on the show back on episode one hundred and two, untangling insect bird food webs with Dr. Ashley Kennedy. We so, didn't even do too much tick stuff with her that day. Just no. So yeah. if you are interested in what she had to say about birds and insects, go back and listen to that episode. Dive into our archive on our website arthro-pod.blogspot.com. Uh, with that, do we have all of our introductory weirdness out of the way? I think so. Yeah. 
You got all the wiggles out. <laughs> <laughs> there might uh, be more weirdness, but the yeah, introductory weirdness is out of the there's way. There's always weirdness. I am excited because we're going to be talking about insect locomotion over the next couple of episodes. So how insects get around. Uh, I'm somehow going to drop the ZZ Top song legs in at this point, I think, uh, because today we are going to be focused <laughs> in... <laughs> That's a different song, but yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I, I got ZZ Top. Yeah, you 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 were doing Lagrange, but I appreciate the effort. Uh, so we're uh, going to be talking about insect legs today, and then our next episode will be about wings. Uh, the legs are, of course, uh, very useful for getting around. <laughs> Do I need to hit pause? <laughs> no. We're good. <laughs> we're good. Let's keep going. Just One keep of you it. two is just, editing. Just this. keep it weird. I'll, I'll, I, I'll I'll I can edit it. <laughs> You're so, doing yes. a great job. Just keep going. Uh, we're going to be talking about legs today. Uh, insects famously have three pairs of legs, so six total legs on their body. Uh, that's one of those trivia facts that I hope most people who listen to the show remember from their either biology days or maybe they took an entomology course back in the day. Um, and they remember that about these uh, animals that we've dedicated our lives to. Uh, but we kind of wanted to spend some time talking about those legs today, why they're interesting, why they're special, why they're unique, why do they have six, uh, why not more, why not less, and how that relates to other arthropods, which may have more or less legs. Uh, so I think the way to start will probably be to talk about how insect legs are put together. And Dr. Green, I think that was uh, your bit of... Yes, let's talk about legs. Okay, so let's picture a leg lamp from a Christmas story, right? Okay. Okay, and now, eye. okay, are you thinking about that? Yep. Now replace that human leg with an insect leg. And yeah. so like, isn't it? Yeah. So depending on which insect you want to represent, or if you're, you know, your lamp would appear very different because we usually have insects that have like modified parts. But an insect leg, regardless of whatever insect you're talking about in the adult form. So ant, grasshopper, beetle, dragonfly, butterfly, aphid, whatever. They have the same structures when it comes to legs. And so because we can relate to our own legs, let's think about, you know, what bones we have starting from our pelvis and then moving down. So like the hip bone or coxa, which is a ball and socket hip joint. We've got the femur that makes up our thigh bone. Below that is our tibia, which is the larger bone. And then the fibula, which is smaller. And so that makes up our shin bone and calf. And then we get to our foot. And that consists of tarsals and our toes. So now we want to picture an insect, an adult insect leg. So when I picture an insect uh, leg, I think of a cockroach. Uh, You may think of a different one. Well, that's my question too. When I say picture an insect. Uh-huh. What do you picture, Jonathan? What leg did I picture? Well, do you think of the whole insect or you just think of insect leg? I just thought of the leg. You told me to make a lamp out of it in my mind's eye. Okay, so. and so whose leg or whose uh, leg? Which insect was, leg? Mine was an Eastern Hercules beetle leg lamp. Oh, whoa. Mike, can you be Very that? specific. I was thinking <laughs> of specific. a grasshopper leg. Nice, yeah. Yeah, like which leg though? Oh, like, like the saltatorial hind legs. Oh, the hind leg? Okay. Okay, so I, like some, I some meat on it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll talk about those. Those are the what you dissect in like oh. your your classes, right? Your kind of introductory entomology class where you go over morphology. Like they always give you a big lubber grasshopper. So true. That's that's what I pictured. So you think just like because this leg's detached and you're really focusing on parts of the leg that you're thinking yeah. of a leg that you've dissected. Dice- yeah, that I've detached. Okay. 
Perfect. Okay. So getting back to insect legs. So consider the body of your insect. And so this is like uh, what the leg is attached to. So that part is called the coxa. Um, it's the first segment of six of the insect leg. And so that's attached to the body and it can be compared to the ball joint that we have, um, um, you know, in our, in our hip bone. So it's, it's movable and they call this, um, mono, wait, it's the movement that I was talking about earlier, monocondylic. So it's that one point of articulation. So articulation refers to how the the bones connect and that that movement. So because it is able to move, um, it's at one point it can be varied movement. And so you know, think about your hips. Okay. So the second segment is called the trochanter, and this is often very small, and it limits the movement in a vertical plane. So it's not like that um, the monocondylic um, connection. They call that one a dicondylic connection, and it is closely attached very firmly to the third segment, which is the femur. But um, I was thinking about some of the exceptions to the rule and maybe Mike would know this or, or Jonathan about some orders have like two segmented trochanters. So um, I think it's like the ichneumon wasp and then dragonflies and damselflies. So yeah, yeah. ichneumonids or ichneumonoids, I think berconids may be too. Yeah, they've got a divided trochanter, which is kind of neat. But then you've got some other weird things like ground beetles that have the big kidney-shaped trochanter. That is a family-level characteristic that you can identify them with. So the trochanter is big and expanded. Uh, oh. and looks like a kidney. Yeah, they got big leg beans. Yeah. Well, I have to check out those legs sometime. So the femur is the third segment. It's the largest and the strongest. Kind of like how ours is too, right? Whenever you hear someone broke their femur, you're like, yikes. Yeah. So, that's bad. um, yeah. We all uh, just rest. <laughs> you're like, oh, yeah. Um, so this one is like, again, tightly fused to the trochanter. The fourth segment is the tibia and it can be as long as the femur, but it's usually thinner and it moves in that vertical plane. And so like when you bend it and I think about the grasshopper leg that Mike was talking about, you can bend it and it can pretty much like touch and go, you know, right, right by that femur. Um, this is the part of the leg that would have spurs and spines and those, those things that are on there. But insects do not have fibula, not the, the, what we have. They don't have that part. Uh, the fifth part is the tarsi. And this is the insect part of the leg that could be considered the insect's foot. Uh, the tarsi are divided into five segments called uh, tarsimeres, and there can be a variation. So I don't think there can be more than five, but there can be less, right? So can there be one to five or two to five? Some insects have one, I think. Yeah. I think scripts um, have one. I was just reading about them. Yeah. So this is a really good identification characteristic of many insects uh, when it comes to counting the tarsal segments. Um, so the last and final segment, so that's six if you lost count, is the pre-tarsi. Um, this can be curved and clawed. Um, there's also like different parts of these claws that can be like lobed and have adhesive pads. They can have bristles or claws between those. Um, kind of the, the, the stuff 
that makes insects so amazing when they can like walk on walls, hang on the ceiling, and many of them can climb up glass, which will, you know, escape out of a container that you think that they can't. So this is the um, Spider-Man part of the leg is what you're saying. Yeah. Um, And they've got different names for those. So like the unguis is the pair of claws. The aroleum is adhesive pad between the claws. Um, is it, there's a lobe there. So like you can magnify the insects, like the tip of the insect's feet there, those tar- uh, pre-tarsi, and see these um, modifications there. And the pulvilli are those adhesive pads um, that we see like on the bottom of like flies. And then um, there's also these bristles and lobes. I don't know which insects have those. Mike, maybe you know. It's called the epodium. Oh, epodium. Yeah. Yep. Which insects have those? Uh, some flies will have impodium. Uh, yeah, and it's just kind of like a bristle-like structure. Yeah, and so between the claws. Yeah, so then these, you know, will all differ on different parts of the on different insects. And so, like, I mean, for instance, like Madagascar hissing roaches. If you've ever played with those or held those, they've got those sticky pads um, and like tarsal claws. Um, you know, we talked about the flies and the, the things that can grip on to like different surfaces. And they also like secrete an oily substance, which, you know, also allows them to stick and provide that traction stickiness um, compared to like things like bed bugs where they cannot climb up smooth surfaces. And, you know, that's why we've got pitfall traps for certain insects, because we know that they cannot get out of those places. So uh, when you put this all together, you get an insect leg. Um, on each side of the body, there should be three, so six legs total. They're attached to the thorax, so the second part of an insect's body. And then the thorax is also divided into three. So when it comes to insects, I think three is like the, the magic number. So prothorax, mesothorax, and metathorax. And so when we describe the legs, like we sometimes will say like foreleg, hind leg, middle leg, but it's like the prothoracic leg or proleg. Um, mesothoracic leg and then the metathoracic leg so um and yeah so it's movement really depends on the the musculature and the nature of those joints and how they're attached um so thinking about that you know when you think about your knee like it only goes a certain way in a certain plane or should right (laughs) otherwise yeah it's not that's a problem otherwise you kind of have an injury and then when you think about like how other parts of our bodies move like the hip and like our ankle that's going to be, you know, more, um, more permitting more movement. Um, but again, so what I described are adult insects and immature or larval forms may have uh, different rules or don't go by these rules. And so Jonathan, maybe you can explain some of these interesting, you know, tidbits about insect legs. Sure. Uh, when we talk about immature insects, uh, you'll notice that some of them very famously don't have legs. When you look at a maggot or a weevil larva, some different weevil larva, you'll notice that they don't have any of these six legs at the front. Others, when you look at them, you'll notice them pretty quickly. Um, think of a caterpillar. Most caterpillar species, you're going to notice that they have six true legs at the front uh, on what would be their thoracic section. Then if you look at the back ends of some insects, you will notice what look like more legs. I remember as a kid being kind of confused about if you look at a caterpillar, you might see these kind of fleshy nubs near the rear. And that means that they have more than six legs. Uh, At least I thought so then. But these are uh, not true legs. These are called pro legs, which is kind of 
confusing when we also call the front legs pro legs, but uh, that's what they're named. So we're working with it. These are kind of like fleshy protuberances or nubs that can help the insect to grip onto different surfaces. Pro legs, I would say, are most associated with larval lepidopterans, so caterpillars, baby moths, and butterflies and skippers, and then also sawfly immatures. Uh, sawflies are wasps as adults. Um, they are very poorly named because when they're immatures, they're also called slugs of various types, so pear slug, rose slug. Um, I would say they're perhaps the worst named group of insects. Mike, why did why did we do all that with the sawflies? Do you know? I don't. Sorry. <laughs> You can't look back into the, the minds of the people of the past and tell us, unfortunately. Uh, no. With the sawfly immatures, they also have pro legs. And it can actually be important in differentiating those two groups to count the pro legs that you see on them. Uh, caterpillars will have crochets at the end of their pro legs as well. So they actually have these kind of hooked appendages that come out uh, like Wolverine's claws a little bit. And then they can use those to further grip onto things. Sawflies do not have these crochets. And sawflies should have six or more pairs of pro legs, whereas lepidopterans will have five or fewer. Uh, the reason this, this distinction is kind of important is that sawflies superficially resemble caterpillars and their damage does as well. And there are some instances like in practical situations where you're dealing with a lot of sawfly damage. But if you confuse them for a caterpillar, many people may treat with BT. Uh, the BT that's specific for caterpillars will not work on sawflies since they are immature wasps. Uh, it won't kill them. And so you don't get control, and then you end up with more damage. So we do have to double check on these pro legs a little bit. I think it, one of the things that's popping up to me so far is I feel like when Jody was discussing legs and talking about them, there was a lot of action kind of associated with it. She was talking about like them in real life. Mike, what is what do you think of when you think of legs? I feel like this verbiage that we're using, this terminology, like you must use it on a more daily basis than we do. Like how often are you thinking about trochanters and looking at tarsi and counting things on the pre-tarsi when you're doing your work? Yeah, so I think there's a, a couple ways to think about legs. Um, and we're going to cover it here. One of the reasons that we have a whole episode dedicated to insect legs is that they're really variable within insects. It's one of the things on insects that they can like modify heavily uh, for whatever they're doing. And so there's different types of legs and we're going to cover those in a little bit. Uh, and that's really interesting because if you think about like mammals, like arms and, and legs kind of all look fairly similar. Like you can get like loss of fingers and turning things into hooves or like a, a mole's kind of hands turning into scooping organs. Um, but like, there's not a heck of a lot of variation when you think of, uh, compared to like something like an insect, right? So like on a, a on a kind of larger level, they're interesting to think about and talk about because there's all this diversity that we don't see in other groups. Um, kind of when you zoom in about like you mentioned, thinking about them on a more specific level, uh, because there is all of that diversity, they're really useful for taxonomy and identification. Um, and so Jody mentioned the tarsi, and counting tarsal formulas is really useful for identifying certain groups. So if you've got a beetle, and you can't tell whether it's a ground beetle or a darkling beetle, two 
different families of beetles that aren't related very closely, but kind of look the same if if you look at them just in your hand. Um, the legs can help tell them apart. So we mentioned that kidney-shaped trochanter that ground beetles have. Uh, Tenebrionids don't have that. The darkling beetles don't have that. But if you look at the tarsal formula, those are also different. Ground beetles have a 555 tarsal formula. So what that means is that there are five tarsal segments on the first leg, five tarsal segments on the middle leg, and five tarsal segments on the hind leg, compared to darkling beetles that have a 554 uh, tarsal uh, segmentation. So that's five on the front leg, five tarsal segments in the middle leg, and then four tarsal segments on the hind leg. There's some other interesting things that tarsi are doing. So um, you can have uh, some segments becoming large and bilobed, and then other segments shrinking. And so you can have a condition called pseudotetramerous or pseudotrimerous. And so you get this big bilobed tarsal uh, segment and then a little teeny tiny neck segment. So that could either be segment three or segment four. And so if you just count it like in your hand, it looks like it has four or three segments when really they have five or four because that one segment is very, very tiny. You have to look at it under a microscope um, and that can throw people off. But that's an interesting character when you're looking at different insect groups trying to identify them. Is it pseudotrimeris? Is it pseudotetramerous? Um, let's look at these insect feet and find out. Um, the divided trochanter uh, that that Jody mentioned just a bit ago is another good characteristic. If you're looking at a very small wasp and you don't know what wasp group it is, if you see a divided trochanter, it's either a nicknumonid or a burconid, so that can help narrow down the possibilities about what it might be. And so when you get this kind of variation um, at, at a smaller level, not even thinking about, like, does it have raptorial forelegs like a praying mantis or running legs like a cockroach, just these really small changes, number of tarsal segments, divisions in certain areas, um, even that kind of variation can really help with, with identification. Does that get it, what you were trying to get at, John? Yes, this is absolutely what I wanted. Perfect. Um, I, before we move on to the next bit, there is kind of one thing I did want to go back to and mention, um, thinking about tarsal segmentation and, and when Jody was talking about the different leg segments, uh, something that can throw a lot of people off is tarsal segmentation. Uh, she mentioned they can have anywhere from one to five segments. Most insects have five, but there can be reductions. Aphids have three tarsal segments. And so why are we counting those different tarsal segments as different segments? Why don't we say insects have, you know, anywhere from six to, uh, what would that be, nine segments, six to ten segments? If we Like, why don't we count each tarsal segment as its own segment? Uh, and it comes down to muscle attachments. So the way we divide uh, leg segmentation up is where muscles attach. And so each segment has its own set of muscles. And when you look at the tarsi, they all have, even though they're subdivided into one to five different sections or subsections, they all have the same set of muscles and muscle attachments. They're all sharing that. And so when we kind of look at it from that level, we can see that this was at one point in the past, one single segment that's now been subdivided. And so we're going to keep counting it is a single segment, regardless of the number of subdivisions it has. That makes sense. I think you tricky so. taxonomists always coming up with something. Yeah, always coming up with something. <laughs> but so I guess in practice, like 
every day are you looking at these things and counting them up and looking for three hairs versus two hairs or, or red coloration versus no coloration? Like, are these very practical things for you? Yeah, for sure. It depends on the group. Um, but yeah, depending on the group that you're looking at, looking at the legs and how they're divided, how they're colored. Um, Jody mentioned uh, spines. Um, if you look at the legs of certain kinds of leaf and tree hoppers, where the spines are, how many they are, if they've got um, spines that are like in a little socket so they can move, or if they're just an extension or an outgrowth of the cuticle and so they can't move, um, if they're if it's just a big hair, like where those are, how many there are, the arrangement, that can all be really important for identifying different families of plant and leaf and tree hoppers. Um, so yeah, depending on the group that you're looking at, looking at the legs can be really important. I think it's just important to highlight there's a reason that we're dedicating an entire episode to insect gams, right? Like this isn't just for for poops and giggles. It, there's the, These are practical things that can be useful if you're maybe taking taxonomy next or this semester, or if you are planning to start an insect collection in the future. Like these are helpful terms to know and to understand where to look for. For sure. Yeah, there's a reason that we dedicate so much time to insect legs, not only on this show, but like in an introductory entomology class. Um, knowing where or where and which each segment is, if we're talking about the femur, the coxa, the trochanter, um, all of that is kind of used, again, in identification. You might be running through a key and it will say femur, red, or brown. Well, you got to know which segment the femur is to be able to look at that. Right. Um, Otherwise, you're like, you... these are all black. There's no red or brown. <laughs> <laughs> But like we do look at these different segments and in being able to figure out which segment is which uh, can be really important, both for identification, but also for, um, you know, other uses when you're looking at an insect with with, you know, all kinds of different things in, in entomology. And for an extension entomologist who receives samples that sometimes have no head or legs, like this is why it's important. When they're like, how do you know it's an insect? I'm like, it has no head or legs, you know, <laughs> and, and I don't know if it broke off or it just never had any, but that would be a good indication that this is not an insect if it's got no head or legs. Well, and kind of thinking about extension and some of these specimens that we get uh, in poor condition, say you get a bag and it's just a couple of legs, like the rest of the body isn't there. You could still tell yeah. what that is like. You can distinguish a spider from an insect because spiders, being arachnids, have a different number of leg segments. They've got an extra segment in there that insects don't have. And so just by looking at the number of segments in that leg, you can tell this is an arachnid, this is an insect, or, you know, this is an insect. I can tell what kind of insect it is based on the shape of the leg segments, the number of tarsi, the placement of different hairs on the legs. The flavor um, of the leg. No. Smell of no. the <laughs> no. Um, so even like just a disarticulated leg, you can tell a lot about the insect that that came from, which, like you mentioned, in extension, sometimes all you've got is a leg. Yeah, it yeah. can get you in the ballpark. I, I've mm -hmm. I've made For identifications sure. off of legs and antenna and stuff before. For sure. Yeah. Let's talk more about the insect legs specifically. I think that we've we've highlighted the six and the the, the way that they're put together. Jody did a really good overview of that. But why do they only have six legs, Mike? Like, why are, why why not more? I mean, more is better. I want to have more legs, run faster, get away stronger. 
We should all just be centipedes. Pretty much. Um, no, why stop a centipede? Go to millipede. <laughs> millipedes are not fast. Millipedes are not fast. They've actually got too many legs and it slows them down. It's cumbersome. They got to stop and tie their shoes all the time. It's true. <laughs> Thank you. It's, it's a great um, school visit joke. Thanks. Uh, it, it comes down to um, pragmatization. Um, that if you can think of, okay, we're going to back up a little bit. Yes, let's. Uh, so if you think of kind of the ancestral arthropod, maybe think about something like a millipede. It's not a millipede, but you, you could picture that. A long tube with a lot of legs, a leg on each segment. Can you say um, that we're arthropod? Ur arthropods? Yeah. yeah. Um, and if you can picture an arthropod, the arthropod family tree, the phylogeny, the way that arthropods have evolved, as different arthropod groups have evolved from that common ancestor that was a tube with legs, uh, they have compressed different numbers of segments into different functional body regions. So if we think about an insect head, uh, which would be, a, have, we, we've, have we covered the head? For an episode, we should. Yeah, uh, I not, uh, have we in the past. I don't think I don't so. Think we, we talked have. about we talked about how they eat, so we talked about the mouth. I don't yeah. think we've done it. We we did antenna sort of tangentially when we talked okay. about pheromones, but uh, we haven't done eyes. Okay, we could do an episode on the head. Yeah. Uh, so there's this this phenomena called cephalization, where you take uh, depending on the arthropod group that you're looking at, you know, five to eight body segments and jam them together and so on the outside these segments that have been squished together you know you lose the segmentation so it just looks smooth on the outside but each part or each one of those legs then evolves into something else so the an insect mouth is made up of a bunch of legs that have been modified into together making a mouth um spider fangs the calissary uh, those are modified legs. Um, they're not doing what insects do, where they take like five different segments and squish them together. They just have one segment that is the calissary that they've modified into a mouth. Um, and so depending on the different arthropod group that you're looking at, they're taking different numbers of body segments, squishing them together. And then when those squished parts are together, they do different, they come up with different forms and functions. So you're taking some and squishing them into a head. In some groups like insects, those legs are turning into mouth parts. So in insects, you've taken three body segments, squished them together to make the thorax. And the thorax is all about locomotion. Um, the head is about eating. The thorax is about locomotion. And the abdomen is about digesting the food that the head eats. And so kind of your digestive system through the thorax is just kind of a, a, a thin tube it's that shunts. Yeah, that yeah. shunts food from the mouth to the abdomen. So the thorax is really about locomotion. And so you've got three segments that have been squished into this thorax. And so you've got three pairs of legs that are still on those three body regions. Um, you also have wings coming off of sun insects. Um, it's the reason that in arachnids, you've got four pairs of legs. Instead of taking three body segments and squishing them together in a, into a thorax, you've taken four body segments, squished them together, and that's the part of the, the arachnids that are involved in locomotion. Um, depending on the different uh, arthropod group you're looking at, those 
different body segments correspond to, to different like numbers on the ancestral arthropod. And so if you think about again about a spider that's got the four legs, but they're only using one pair of legs to form the mouth, those walking legs in a spider are analogous to the mouth parts in an insect. It's like segments three, four, five, six. Um, those have all been shoved up into the mouth and insects. And then you've got further back body segments that are the walking legs of the thorax and insects. Um, so kind of to get back in your question, why did they have three sets of legs? Well, ancestrally, they took three body segments, squished them into a thorax, kept those as walking legs. And then the legs that were on the other parts of the body were either moved into the mouth or abandoned. So each segment of an insect abdomen ancestrally would have had legs. Certain groups of insects like jumping bristletails still have little nubbins there that correspond to the ancestral legs. Um, but in higher groups of insects, uh, once you get into the, the insects that have the, the pterogotes, the, the flighted, the winged insects, uh, they've lost even those little nubbins. Um, as you get to the very back of the insect abdomen, um, things like ovipositors in certain groups, the orthopterans, those are actually ancestrally legs that have been modified into an egg-laying organ. Um, but in those middle abdo abdominal segments, the legs have been lost. So, What about um, Cersei? Cersei are not legs I, didn't, uh, I would it would make sense that they're not they're not like articulated at all they're not articulated Circe are uh, ancestral to all insects they're just little filamentous things that hang off the back of the last segment um I don't think that they are analogous to legs uh but they've been lost and modified in in various groups of insects to various degrees well, what I like about your explanation that you're giving so far is you're pointing out that like we can look at still living creatures and say and see these these changes these evolutionary changes like there's evidence of this still living with us today as well as in the fossil record is that correct yes yes exactly um yeah and so the evidence comes in a in a variety of different places you mentioned fossils um i would love to do like an, an entire episode on fossil insects and evolution um but yeah there's there's evidence in fossils um, there's also evidence in genes. And so if you look at different genes in insects and other arthropods and compare what they're doing in insects to other arthropods, you can also start to suss out some of this, both with um, tagmatization, how they're squishing different body segments up, um, but also in the legs themselves. So if we look across insects and other arthropods, uh, I already mentioned spiders and insects have different numbers of leg segments. Um, other arthropods also have different numbers of leg segments, uh, and I have it written down so I get the numbers right. Um, so <laughs> you, you <laughs> yeah, don't want some crustaceanologist atting you on Twitter, like I, I know, understand. like I, I, you know, I got notes and I'm going to refer to them so I get <laughs> this right. Um, so arthropods can have anywhere from six to eight leg segments. So chelicerates, spiders, scorpions, mites, the like Six. can have seven or eight. Uh, myriapods, the millipedes and centipedes have six or seven leg segments. Insects have six, and then crustaceans either have seven or eight leg segments. And so uh, the one paper that I'm looking at, Bruce 2020, it's actually a preprint, uh, How to Align Arthropod Legs is the title if you want to look it up. 
Um, it cites that at least since 1927, and I suspect even earlier than that, uh, researchers had proposed different theories to account for this variation in leg segmentation. So how do you get different numbers of leg segments? Well, you can have segments being deleted. You could have certain segments being duplicated. Maybe you take a femur and because of the gene duplication, now you've got two femurs and that kind of evolves into different leg segments. Um, you can have fusions of leg segments. You're not deleting it, but you're fusing a, a, a connection between segments and turning two segments into one. And if you look at certain groups, so uh, is the mite group I worked on, um, different genera of cunaxids actually have either a single femur, a somewhat divided femur, there's a light line in there, or a full basofemur and, oh gosh, telefemur. And so the femur has been divided. There is a full, like, like uh, apodeme in there um, that divides the femur into two segments. And so, like, here is a an example of where you you can imagine where you've got this division, and now you just got to articulate it. And now you've got an extra leg segment. And so, like, all of these things could have happened. Um, and without other evidence, if we're just looking at morphology, it's impossible to kind of tell, like, what happened. Um, and so this paper, this Bruce 2021 paper, they look at different Hox genes uh, across different arthropod groups and try to figure out what's going on with these leg segments. Why do different arthropods have different numbers of leg segments? And I remember the word Hox gene from my <laughs> introductory biology class. I even then could not tell you what the heck a Hox gene was. So I looked it up on Wikipedia and I actually really <laughs> like the kind of analogy that they used. Uh, Cause gosh, I had introductory biology 15 years ago and this is the first time Hox genes make sense to me. And so awesome. they, the analogy that Wikipedia uses, uh, thank you to whoever wrote this. Truth um, in podcasting right here. Yeah, is that uh, Hox genes are like a play director, and so they're telling the they're directing the action. They are telling the actors on the stage where to go, what to do, and so Hox genes are doing the same thing. They're not actually making proteins. They're not um, responsible for like the actual construction of the leg, but they're telling different other genes where to put the legs, where to put different things in relation to each other. Uh, and so if you move Hox genes around, if you delete them, if you duplicate them, that changes where and when other genes get turned on or off. And so this paper looked at different Hox genes, the genes that are kind of directing other genes to do things. And by doing that, um, they actually started from the distal segments. So from the tarsi, the very outer away from the body segments and found that in arthropods, they are analogous. So as you go back um, from the tips of the legs back, those segments are all analogous to each other. And what's happening as you get closer to the body is that the basal segments, the segments that are closest to the body have been variously incorporated into the body wall. And so insects ancestrally would have had eight leg segments like other crustaceans. Insects are derived crustaceans. But they found that some of these Hox genes that are present in other crustaceans in the basal most segments, those segments closest to the body, are actually active in the body wall of insects. And so what happened? Well, 
what used to be a segment has moved up into the body and is incorporated into the body wall. And so that segment functionally disappears. It's not a segment anymore, but you can see where it is in the body because the genes are still active there. That's crazy. Um, yeah. And so if you look at across all of these arthropods, the very tips of the legs, those are all analogous. And as you go back, yeah, all of the segments are analogous, except for some of the basal mosts that have been moved into the body wall and they disappear. They're not deleted or anything. And, and none of these segments have been duplicated. It's just sometimes leg parts get incorporated into the body wall. Um, you can see this interestingly in things like mites, kind of analogous. The coxy of mite groups is often flat and looks like a big plate on the body wall. And so you can imagine how like this used to be like a segment that moved. It's been flattened out into the body. And so this has just happened in other arthropod groups, except we lose the kind of differentiation around that incorporated segment in the rest of the body. Um, one other kind of cool thing that they suggest about this is that this is where the insect respiratory system came from. And so crustaceans have endipodites and exipodites. And I'm going to mix up which is which. But you can imagine a crustacean leg has two segments that come off like the basal most segment. One of those segments, because in insects, the basal most segment has been incorporated into the body wall. One of those gets invaginated and kind of moves into the body and turns into the insect tracheae, while the, out, the other one kind of exists on the outside of the body. And is a spiracle? Stays a leg. Yeah. So the spiracles in the rest of the respiratory system look like they may be derived from ancestral leg segments which is huh. really cool because which is why they don't have legs on their abdomen right but those spiracles on the abdomen are ancestrally part of the legs that used to be there could we turn them on again to be legs you know, I don't know. That's getting into weird gene stuff. Um, but, Let's but, ask the real mad science questions. Here. Yeah. Uh, but the only reason you can figure any of this out is because now that we have you know DNA technology, you can go in, look at these different Hox genes, look at where they are being turned on and off during embryogenesis when the embryo is growing. You can turn some of them off um, with things like RNAi knockouts mm -hmm. uh, and just see what happens. Um, and yeah, the only reason we can figure out like what is going on with legs, what happened to these segments, why are the segments numbered like they are is because we can look at the genes now. Um, I really like the way you're framing this is kind of like a love story between you know, old school taxonomy, visual taxonomy versus what we're doing now. Like they, they bridged into each other very beautifully in this, in this, in this conversation. Yeah. And it's, you know, new technology, new ways of looking and thinking about things, answering old questions that we've had for a long time. At least since 1927. At least since 1927. <laughs> so I think we've we've dissected the leg. Jody set up exactly how they're put together. Talked about some of that. Uh, we've talked about why they have six and maybe how they've been arranged over history and genetically. Let's talk about some of them in a more practical sense. Because I think we're all itching to talk about our favorite kinds of insect legs and how they look. Insects have very exciting adaptations uh, to their legs. The, the most basic leg that we can talk about would be the walking or the running leg. So, Jody, you have worked with cockroaches quite a bit. I think that they're the most famous walking leg representative, even though 
everybody's got some walking legs, basically. Uh, wh- what would you say about walking legs and walking legs with roaches in particular? I mean, they're fast. These the cockroaches. As a runner, I would say if uh, if I wanted to run like a certain insect, it would be running like a roach. Run like a roach. Okay, run not like a tiger roach. beetle. Mm. They fly too much. Okay, that's fair. Uh, but it's it's really just it's a basic leg that looks like what you laid out before, right? Like when you used all those terms that if we were to have a, a, a PowerPoint slide on this, we'd probably be using the walking it's, or running. It's leg. like the perfect leg. Yeah, the, I like that. Uh, the femur makes sense. The the, the tibia yeah. makes sense. It's all just kind of laid out normal wise. I, I think looking at a running leg, though, a lot of them have really long tarsi. I can see that being confusing for some people. Like, why has it got a gazillion segments? Because these tarsal segments are really long. I can see that being, you say it's the perfect leg, but I can see that being maybe a little confusing. Who well, has the perfect leg then? Yeah, like? offer up the perfect leg. What is okay. the perfect cursorial leg? Oh, cockroaches. They've got the best. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Just checking. Uh, but yeah, okay. Well, but aside from long tarsi, they're not really modified. They're just kind of. Right. They're, they're just legs. legs. You're right. They're just, just legs. legs. Just legs. Okay. <laughs> so, okay, we can go. Let's just go in your direction then for your for your jumping legs. So. Saltatory. What's different about a jumping leg? Yes. Now go into your jumping leg. They've your spirit big, leg. They've got big muscles. Uh, never skipped leg day. <laughs> No, so saltatorial legs are fairly similar to running legs. Um, they're not they're not really modified in a lot of ways, except they've often got a lot more muscle, usually in the femur. Um, the femur is big, thick, it's packed with muscle, and so they're using that muscle to jump. You can think about like the hind legs on a grasshopper. That's a great example of saltatorial legs. Um, another good example of saltatorial insects are fleas. Uh, and, and one of the neat things about fleas, like their legs are packed with muscle, but they also use a substance, a protein called resolin. Um, and resolin is in a lot, I had to look this up too. It's elastomeric. And so it's real springy. Uh, and what's neat about resolin is it is the most efficient elastomeric protein that we know of. It is 90, 97% efficient. They only lose 3% of the energy that they put into this protein as heat. The rest of it is stored as potential energy. And so you think about a flea, they use their big leg muscles to compress this resolin, store up all of this energy. And then when they release that muscle lock, all of that energy that they've stored slowly is released all at once. And so they've got kind of a different kind of jumping leg compared to grasshoppers, where grasshoppers are using just muscle power fleas are using that muscle power to store potential energy in this protein and then releasing it all at once which is you know a different kind of way to evolve a jumping saltatorial leg which is kind of neat i have a question then okay what about a flea beetle flea beetles i'd have to look to confirm but most like most flea beetles have big bulky femora uh and so they are probably using mostly muscle power 
Um, the thing about resolin is it's all over insect bodies. So anywhere that you've got lots of movement, they have resolin. Uh, it was first found in the wing attachments of locusts. And if you think about flying insects, like they're moving their wings potentially hundreds of thousands of times across their lifetime. And they don't want that protein to break down. You don't want to like fly yourself out in that protein breakdown. And so um, they use resolin at those wing junctures. They use resolin at different, like even in the just joints of their legs. Um, but because it's so good at storing potential energy, certain groups, fleas. Um, the other group that uses it is uh, snow fleas or snow scorpion flies, uh, the Boreids. They are similar to fleas in that they're using resolin to store potential energy from their legs to use that to jump. Um, and so, yeah, just kind of circling back to the idea of saltatorial legs, certain groups of insects, grasshoppers use just their muscle power. Others use that muscle power to store energy and resolin in other, in other ways, and then release that. And that's how they get to jump. Um, so even within saltatorial legs, you've got some like different things going on. I just found a paper. It is from 2020. The Jumping Mechanism of Flea Beetles, Its Application to Bionics and Preliminary Design for a Robotic Jumping Leg, uh, which is not something I expected to read today. They yeah. don't seem to imply there's a resolent thing here. It seems to say that there is an elastic plate which powers the explosive jump and protects other structures from potential energy. In the citations, they talk. there's a citation of a locust paper that talks about locusts having a combination of resolin and this mm -hmm. kind of kinetic storage that Mike is referring to, as well as their powerful muscles. So I think flea beetles might be not using the performance-enhancing drugs that their namesake is. <laughs> but about legs, they also have what you would call jumping legs, right? Yeah. For yeah, a beetle, so when most beetles have running slash walking legs. Yes. And, and that kind of gets at something that I think is important here. We talk about these different types of legs, but really when we talk about running legs or jumping legs or some swimming legs or uh, whatever. Don't spoil them about, all. Right, well, <laughs> we're talking about functional groups. Right. Uh, in the way that insects modify their legs can be different to get to that endpoint of being in that functional group. So there's different ways that you can make a jumping leg. There's different ways that you can make a running leg. There's different ways that you can make a digging leg by modifying different structures. Um, and part of the reason that the legs are so cool and varied is you've got multiple segments in your leg. So maybe a digging leg modifies the femur. Maybe it modifies the tibia. Maybe it's modifying the tarsi. There's different ways to get at this final endpoint of a digging leg or a jumping leg. Well, you kind of broached the, the subject here with fossorial legs or digging legs. Let's talk about them. Uh, I like them. I think they're pretty cool. Uh, in terms of adaptations on them, a lot of it's going to be focused on the femur or the tibia, I should say, where the tibia is going to be modified in some way. Am I digging on that right with fossorial legs, Mike? D digging? Uh, was that on purpose? Yes, it was. I, okay, I try. Cool. <laughs> I appreciate I I couldn't tell if that was uh, purposeful or not. <laughs> Yeah, mole crickets, um, they've modified their, their front femora, the the second to last segment, not the tarsi, but the one back from that. Uh, they flatten them out, uh, put some big spines on there, and use that for digging. And if you look, the tarsi are just little nubbins that are left over that are kind of out of the way 
um, they're not using them for much because they've modified the femur femora uh, into these flattened structures for digging. Similarly, uh, femoral adaptations for periodical cicada, uh, the nymph, if you've ever looked at the shed skins, it looks like they've got almost raptorial looking claws in the front, uh, but it's a femoral adaptation where they, they have scraping, digging power. But then with the beetles, we uh, scarab beetles, we would be talking about some more adaptations to the tibia, kind of a toothed tibia that helps them to spatula out the dirt or the dung that they may be digging down into. Yeah, for sure. And a lot of times when you get these digging lakes, you, you're taking some structure, often the tibia, and flattening it, turning it into some kind of scoop-like organ because you've got to be moving that dirt. I mean, not a people for that there. Always be digging. ABD. Always uh, be digging. <laughs> Dodie, have we talked about your favorite insect leg yet? I feel like we haven't. I don't know what it is, but I'm really confused with the the mole cricket leg still. Because I've read I'm looking at it and read different things about. I feel like all of those leg parts are modified somehow. Right, the whole thing is, is heavily modified. Yeah, the whole, yeah it's it's all hugely modified, all of it. It's, it's a really incredible insect, by the way. Yeah, people say the meanest things about mole crickets. Wow. Um, what is my favorite? Sorry, I'm back. I'm not sure. My guess would have been raptorial before the start of the show, but I also feel like you're partial to clasping, if you ever want to, if you want to tackle either mm-hmm. of those. Uh, I know what you're trying to get at, but I'm not going to go in that direction. Um, I do. I I do love mantises, and they have raptoral forelegs. Um, but I want to talk about a different one right now. Okay. <laughs> I just reared out jagged ambush bugs, uh-huh. and they're so cute. They and are they so have cute. The craziest mini raptoral legs. So. Mike, you can say which one is modified. Is it the tibia and femur? Yes. And then they can only go in that one plane direction, mm-hmm. right? Like coming, going back and forth. Yeah, coming up and down in one single plane. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, what else? There's the mantid flies. Yeah, mantispids. Mantispids. And then a lot of different predatory true bugs that have. Their Giant bugs. water bug. Has front raptorial mm. legs. Mm-hmm. Yep. Used to grasp prey, crush them, hold on to them, eat them. Yeah, 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 that's my favorite. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> no reason. Well, that's Mike, a- you seem to get excited about mantispids. Yeah, well, that's another good example of both convergent evolution and how you can get to the kind of same end goal with different body parts. So mantispids, the mantis flies and mantids like Chinese mantids and in European mantids and uh, Carolina mantids that you might get here in Pennsylvania, they've both modified their front legs in the same kind of way. So the uh, a segment of the tarsus moves kind of against the femur or Sorry, against the tibia. See, even entomologists, that every time I think I have to think about my way from the body of the insect out, it's like femur, tibia, tarsus. So against the tibia, um, 
and there's a bunch of there's a lot of spines on both the tarsus and the tibia and so they can move those spiny appendages against each other and kind of grasp uh their prey and they're unrelated uh mantispids are neuropterans related to things like giant lace wings go listen to our short episode about giant lace wings um if you are if you dare yeah if you dare um and green lace wings and brown they're in other lace wings uh while mantids are more close related to things like cockroaches and other orthopteroids so they've come across they've come up with modifying the same structures in the front legs to do the same job uh if you look at a different uh organism say something like giant water bugs they also have raptorial forelegs but instead of spines on the inside of the legs, they have reduced their tarsi down to a single segment and made it really sharp. And so they have these kind of jabbers that they will jab into fish and other insect prey. Uh, that's also raptorial because they're using it to kind of grab prey. But instead of having leg segments move against each other, they just have big spines on the end of their legs that they use to jab into prey. Um, another thing, again, Kenaxids, the mite group that I worked on, They've got at least all but one genus have raptorial uh, palps. And so in arachnids, you think about spider palps. They're kind of leg-like, often used for mating in the males. Uh, in cunaxids, they have big spines that come off the palps. The palps can move against each other, kind of like the legs of a mantis. And so they've taken another body appendage. Um, that isn't used for movement, it's used for other things, and they've modified them into these raptorial appendages that are used for prey uh, capture. And so, again, the, they've all got the same end goal. How do I grab prey with my legs? Uh, and they've gone about it different ways. Um, How do I turn mean? my hug into a bear trap? Exactly! An evolutionary story. <laughs> uh, we have two functional groups left. Which ones do? We, which one do we want to do first? Swimming. Swimming legs, natatorial legs. Uh, love them. We see them on aquatic insects, of course. Going to be kind of flattened and boat-like. Uh, look a lot like, I would say, a very hairy walking leg uh, or maybe a very hairy saltatorial leg because they are kind of wider with that oar-like structure. Yeah. Uh, increased surface area to push the water. Yeah. This is how Michael Phelps won all of those medals. He's got natatorial appendages. Maybe less hair. I don't know. I'm not sure. I haven't seen him in a while. I assume <laughs> that like most swimmers, he shaves everything. Right. <laughs> so that's else. different. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of critters would we be seeing him on, Mike? Anybody specific that you'd like to point out? Uh sure. Like water boatmen and uh various diving beetles. I like um, the diving beetles. Giant black water beetle. Yeah, that's yeah. A good one. And depending and so with natatorial legs. It's kind of all variations on a theme. Like you said, you get flattened legs often because that increases surface area. You're getting a proliferation of hairs like on the flattened edge or the edge of that flattened surface to again increase surface area, be able to push through that water. But depending on the group that you're looking at, it could be the hind legs that are modified. It could be the middle legs that are modified. It could be all six pairs of legs that are modified. Maybe it's just the meso and metathoracic legs and so your front legs are modified into raptorial legs for prey capture um there's He's less kind a giant of, water bug yeah there's less kind of variation because how do you get to swimming legs well you flatten them out and you put hairs on them 
but like which legs, which segments, it could just be the tarsi, it could be the tarsi and the uh, femur, tibia. You'd think you, I would know. You need but an yeah, you'd think I'd know it by now. 15 years and I still got to like work from the back. <laughs> the um, uh, I like what you just pointed out too, because it points out the fact that you can have the mixing and matching of legs. No, in, not all insects are going to have all of one kind of leg. Uh, for example, it would be very difficult to go through life with only raptorial legs. Uh, you you cannot just have bear traps for legs. You're probably going to want to walk around still, so you need a couple of pairs of walking legs behind them. <laughs> Except the last one, the clasping legs. You tried to run from it, but I cornered you into it. Anyway. I know. I was like, wait. <laughs> Are, only one left. Aren't all their legs clasping? Yeah. yeah. Yep. And I'm talking about my my favorite, not favorite, the louse. Including head, body, and pubic legs. The classics. The trio, the triumvirate. Trilogy of no. Just like ZZ Top. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, these legs are modified to clasp onto hair in those parts where its habitat is. But they can be modified to hold on to other surfaces, correct? I mean, we have chicken lice, we have bird lice. Uh, do you get bird lice, Jody? Uh, not often. <laughs> no, on me, no. Right. You took out all your feathers, so. Yes, yes. He's been plucked. But I, I've always found that fascinating that they can have such heavy modification to the clasping part which I guess is, it's not a tarsal adaptation. It's femoral and tibial. Like the femur and tibia have been modified to become these almost like Lego hands, I guess, that hold on to different things. And only one thing fits into their Lego hand. Yeah. And depending on the louse species that you're looking at, like that, the area that that Lego hand can get around <laughs> is the same diameter of like the hair or the feather that they are typically found on. Um, right. because they've evolved with their hosts and it's, you know, if you can really grasp onto they're really good, it's harder to be groomed out. We've ruined ZZ Top, Legos. What else did we get today? <laughs> Boat oars. We did try to promote the beauty of mole crickets, so I appreciate that. Uh, those are the functional groups of legs. Uh, that's kind of where we wanted to end things for today. As Mike said, the thorax is all about locomotion. And the other locomotory organs that are attached here are the wings. So we're going to dedicate our next episode to those beautiful flying apparatus that insects have developed and talk about where they came from. They have mysterious origins as well, right, Mike? Yeah, the the origin of insect wings has been debated for as long as we've been talking about legs. Um, there have been a couple papers, again, looking at genes and DNA. Uh, in the last couple of years that may have shed some more light on that. I think we're starting to come to a consensus about how wings originated. Um, but that's, I don't want to say it's hot off the presses because uh, it's the, the couple papers have been out for a few years now, but um, hot off the presses in that like this knowledge has not made it into say most textbooks that are being taught. Um, so yeah, it, it, we're coming to a consensus for the first time. Uh, and so that should be interesting to talk about. Tantalizing is the word I would use to describe your setup. Please don't go read those papers before <laughs> our episode. Join, bring them with you. Read them while you listen to the episode. 
So we talked about how they scurry, how they walk today. We're going to move on into the wings and how they fly in the next episode. If people would like to listen to any of our backlog that we have alluded to during the show today, they can do that at our website, arthro-pod.blogspot.com. You can also find us on all of your requisite social media sites. That's not true. We're really only on Twitter uh, or X as it's called now. So we are arthro underscore pod show there. And we are all also on that platform. I am Bugman John. I'm at Jody Bugsme, UNL. I'm on Twitter at mscavarla36, but that platform is dying. And so I also am on Blue Sky now at napoleonagento.bluesky.social. Uh, so if you want to find me on Blue Sky, I'm on there too. Jody is so excited. I'm so excited that you've become more creative with your handles. I, I, you know, I really wish Blue Sky, I I wish it had capitals in the names because Napoleonic Ento really runs together and is unreadable without mm. a capital N, capital E. That would make it a lot easier. Uh, I didn't know that they would remove my capitals when I came up with the name, but you know, whatever. I'm well, stuck with it now. I'm, still, I'm still proud of you. And I was very excited for today's episode because I feel like you were in your element. You did a really great job. explaining all of this stuff and my mind was sort of blown with a lot of a lot of the squishing together nubbins getting to the same place different (laughs) ways so thank you for that yeah if you likewise feel that mike expanded your mind and you enjoyed his way of describing all of this you can leave a rating and review to that effect on your favorite podcatcher app and that will help get the show out to more people and it helps us to feel better specifically say that mike did a really good job. That'll help him uh, have a nicer day as well. Oh, thanks. <laughs> we hope you will join us next time on an exciting episode where we're diving into wings, print out those papers that Mike was alluding to, and maybe wear those like costume butterfly wings while you listen. I don't know. You know, get weird with it. Oh, uh, my, we hope my you enjoy today. Some. I think I will do that next time. <laughs> Perfect. We'll all wear our daughter's butterfly wings when we record the next episode. Uh, look forward to not getting to see that, but hearing us talk about it. We'll see you there. It's time for our insect heroes to put away their nets and pheromone traps. Join us next time, same bug time, same bug channel, as the Arthropod gang make the world safe from poor insect podcasts. Until then, keep on bugging. I'm going to do a screenshot. I don't know if I have even butterfly wings.